Constructed Futures podcast with Hugh Seaton. Today I'm here with Brian Mattimore, co-founder and chief idea guy of the Growth Engine, an innovation agency. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Sure. Hey, Hugh. Good to good to talk to you. Um, yeah. So I run Growth Engine. We're a 20-year-old innovation agency uh, based in Westport, Connecticut, and, and now also virtually in Stanford, Connecticut, and New Canaan, Connecticut. And so we help companies come up with new stuff. And obviously, as an innovation agency, we do a lot of new product work, but we also do, uh, if you will, process innovation. And we can get into that as we talk about this. But, you know, that could be uh, cost cutting. It could be strategy. It could be sales. It's really we are experts in ideation and qualitative research processes. Uh, So all these processes can be used against all kinds of, quote, innovation challenges or, if you will, inventing the new. So and, and how has this worked for, for larger, kind of more conservative companies? I know you've worked for a range of different companies, but let's hear a little bit about, you know, bigger folks that, that have, uh, have process to worry about and, and are maybe a little bit less um, interested in being cutting edge. Well, it's interesting because I would say 90% of our work is actually with medium or primarily large companies. And so they're the ones that hire us in, in part because they have the, if you will, the bigger budgets. Um, but also, you know, as you, the world has changed from, you know, the 1950s, uh, uh, not invented here. Um, the, the senior leaders um, recognize that to survive, you know, they need to innovate. And so there's this, uh, you know, primal or primordial or eternal challenge, if you will, or, or tension between creating the new and um, reinforcing the old or the established. And, and you need both. I mean, you need the processes that give you control because you want to be efficient. You want to save money. You want to be safe. Um, and so you need all those controls, absolutely. But you also need to be able to to come up with with new things, and that's the dynamic tension that exists. And and frankly, in my mind, will always exist um, in large, but also medium and in small companies. So so there are forces within the company that or the or an organization that are looking to create the new, and there are those that are looking to um, you know make the status quo better. And you just, you have to come up with processes and structures and work with different teams in order to deal with that. And we can talk about that if you, if you like. Yeah. Well, Brian, let's start with, with, you know, you talked a little bit even in the intro about what innovation even is, but when people ask you, and again, within sort of a, a bigger, bigger company context, but what do you think is innovation? What's a good word or good way of describing it? Well, I guess I should also mention the term ideation or brainstorming uh, as a vehicle, quote, for innovation. People sometimes say, well, what, what's the difference? Ideation is the process or brainstorming as we it's commonly known, which is, by the way, an incorrect use of that term. But um, it's coming up with ideas. And then innovation, you could say, is bringing those ideas to market. What people most often don't understand is that innovation, at least in our world, is not just about new products. As I said, we have the, the, this notion of a, quote, total innovation enterprise. And that, that idea is that throughout the organization, um, frankly, everybody should be, have the opportunity to contribute ideas. And these ideas are not necessarily eureka, 
uh, new multi-million dollar services. They could be a way to serve customers better. They could be a way to uh, make the world safer um, or, you know, the, the business safer. It could be a way to be more efficient. Um, it could be it could be anything where there's a problem or challenge um, that needs solving. And, and actually, too, it's the ability to notice those problems and challenges and be creative, proactively creative about how to do a better job of those. So our definition of innovation is uh, coming up with new ideas for every kind of challenge that, a, that an organization might confront and then figuring out how to bring those ideas to market, quote, to market or to make them happen uh, successfully. The other thing I would say is that people, you know, people say, "Oh, we got a great idea," and, and you know, now what? And, and some companies have said to us, "Oh, we got more ideas than we know what to do with." Our problem is getting them to market. Well, the techniques and processes we use are not only to come up with ideas, but they're to solve the sometimes hundreds of different problems that you confront as you're trying to innovate, as you're trying to bring things to market. Yeah, so there's a few things to unpack in there that I think are pretty cool. One of them is is the, this idea that companies and and any group or any person really is innovating on some level all the time, right? So a lot of a lot of the challenge really is to make that more more formal, more structured, and more um, uh, repeatable, for lack of a better word. But I guess the second piece, and we can probably break these in half, is in, in two anyway, is is actually managing managing the flow of, of ideas and solutions so that you're not overwhelmed with new things to do. Does that make sense? It does. You know, the, so there is this, again, this dynamic tension about structuring for innovation, right? And so it's almost an oxymoronic or contradictory term, right? You know, you're, you're sort of structuring for inspiration. You're setting up processes to have unexpected eureka moments. Um, it's not an oxymoron, but uh, so the, one of the challenges then is how do companies, uh, quote, structure for innovation, you know, somehow make it happen, but, um, but also, you know, have the risk uh, processes in place. So that doesn't, uh, so you don't have a problem with that. And, and as I've thought about it, you know, there, I, I like to think of innovation sort of at three levels. One is the, the kind of individual level. And you can, there are all kinds of techniques we can talk about and processes about how do you get individuals to be more creative in their, quote, daily jobs. So that's one thing. The other I like to think about is teams. How do you make teams more uh, creative and innovative? And then finally, how does the organization structure uh, for, for innovation? What are the ongoing processes that you should have and or structures that allow for uh, continuous innovation. You know, some companies think, uh, okay, we're going to do our annual uh, brainstorming session, as they call it. You know, do it once a year. Well, that's that's not what you're after. That's not the answer here. And we can talk about all three of those levels if you want. But let's, yeah, yeah let's. I mean, I think I would I would ask you of those three levels, where should a company start? What's a good place to to begin becoming more innovative at a structural level? I, I love that question because if you were to talk to the you know, some of the large consulting firms, they would say, oh, well, we have to build your, we have to come up with your organization-wide process, you know, and, and let's create this, this structure, this process. So we, you know, our, we need to hire a director of innovation and he's got this budget and maybe there's a skunk works or a, you know, sort of, a, you know, externalizing this special division to do this. And therefore we have, and on and on and on. We actually take the opposite approach, sort of an inductive bottoms up, bottom up approach, 
meaning we will sometimes because we, you know, every company is different. They, every company has a different culture. Every industry is different. Right. And you have different innovation needs. If you're in the world of high tech, you've got to figure out a way how to be innovative, you know, every, every day, every month. Right. Because the world is changing so quickly. Other industries, whether it's consumer packaged goods or construction, you you may not have that need to be innovative every day. Now, you, you yes, you have to be innovative. You have to deal with trends and all the rest. But it, it doesn't have the urgency of some of those other industries. So. Um, the way we approach innovation is we sometimes say to a, our, our clients, you know, give us a problem area, give us a, a real challenge, give us a division that's not performing well, and let us go in and do an actual innovation project. And through that project, several things will happen. Number one, we'll learn about that particular industry, you know, what the constraints are, what the opportunities are. Number two, we'll actually hopefully succeed Right. And so people within the organization will see, oh, this innovation thing actually works. And then with all that learning and all that reinforcement and hopefully all that success, um, then we can help begin to help them build those internal processes that are sort of customized to their challenges and to their industries and their realities uh, and their company culture, frankly, um, uh, to, to, to help them succeed. And so that's, that's the way we approach innovation. It's sort of, um, I don't know if that's counterintuitive, but it, it's certainly not the standard way, uh, to approach innovation process. How much, and you know, I've, I've, as you know, wrote this uh, book that's coming out, uh, the construction technology handbook. And in doing so, I spoke with a number of innovation teams in, in, uh, general contractors. And a lot of them did, I went through a similar process of about three years. The first year, the CEO created a team and gave them some level of budget, uh, and they didn't really know what to do with it. So they they went and bought some drones and bought some virtual reality, and it you know it made for a cool showroom, but it didn't it didn't really affect the business so much. Year two, they reached out and started finding champions, but again, they found that their traction was a little bit less than they'd hoped. Uh, primarily because it, it it didn't make it past the initial pilot team as much. I mean, there were different variations of this, but generally speaking, year two was figuring out quite how to do it. Year three, um, I uh, most people had started to see real success by starting with, well, two, they had a two-pronged approach. One is they did a lot of internal events that were about opening people's eyes to new ideas. So they would do hackathons or they would do quizzes or they would do little events here and there. Um, and it, the second prong of that approach is that, that they would go out and ask people in the field what they really needed. So get not start from problems as opposed to, you know, starting from, we need to innovate. Uh, and as a result, they had a ready-made group of people that were, were hungry for the solution and willing to go talk about it internally. Um, have you found that, that, you know, the process often follows some similar patterns, you know, beyond just, beyond just construction? I, I have, and and again, we uh, we're not quote big believers of that approach because it, it it tends to be somewhat you know frankly inefficient, and the the metaphor we use that's I don't know if it's odd or interesting or wonderful is kind of poignant in these times, but we we think of uh, the best innovation processes should be like a benevolent virus, and and that means what you kind of start small. And you 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 let this this wonderful thing happen, 
And from that uh, wonderful thing happening, it can start to, to, to spread in wonderful ways. Now, again, this is a controversial approach to innovation. And some CEOs may say, well, we, we don't have time for that. We got to innovate every pl- everywhere, everywhere, place now. And, and that's OK. Um, um, but but I, I, again, I think that there we need to be conscious of that. There are different levels of innovation, different kinds of innovation. Right. And 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 you structure for them differently. So if you're looking for home run, you know, creating multi-million dollar new divisions or products or services, you need to structure for that differently than if you want your people to be uh, more efficient. You want your uh, recruiting and retention to be much better because your culture is not what it could be. Um, or you want line extensions. You you need to structure for those different innovation results if you will, very differently. And most so how, don't think well, of let it. Me just, let me just yeah. stop you there real quick. Yeah. Let, let's just get concrete real quick. How might yeah. you structure for for the big home runs? And then how might you structure for more of a cultural change? So let me start with the, the easy, not easier one, but let me start mm-hmm. from the, 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 the individual and then work up to the, to the sort of home run uh, area. So individually, um, you know, I, I, I think it's critical that the and this may sound odd as well or controversial, but I really think that the company needs to be really clear about their vision, mission and values, uh, because if you're not clear about that, then people, you, you know, you, you kind of know, don't know where you're going. You don't know how you're going to innovate successfully within that world. Then you begin to create some innovation plans for, for growth. But um, at the individual level. Um, we've done sessions with our clients um, in in the world of uh, you know building management, for instance, uh, where we had them um, rein, reinvent the wrong words, so be clear about their vision, mission, and values. And then we did sessions with all their employees to come up with, well, how would you translate those values to different behaviors and more innovative things you could do to provide better customer service and better customer experience. And we started with that because um, we wanted to um, start sort of right, right at the where the, they meet the customer, right? And 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 that does two things: people see how important innovation is, right? But you also begin to identify bigger uh, bigger challenges, right? So that so that's one thing. So vision, mission, values at the team level, um, we teach and and proselytize that there should be two things. One, there should be internal facilitators, or I guess you could hire hire outside firms like ours, but it would be better to quote institutionalize facilitators. And these are uh, people who understand ideation or brainstorming uh, processes to help teams come up with breakthrough ideas. Um, and, And so that's at the team level, and we can talk about what those tools and techniques are and how you do that. And then finally, there's this sort of uh, the Eureka, you know, create multi-million dollar divisions. And in my opinion, you need, uh, first of all, you need talent. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you need, you need special talent to do that because these are, these, this is where you are questioning the status quo. I mean, this is to create a new platform, a new business, an entirely new service. This is not easy. So you need talent around that. You need CEO or senior management support because this is going to take money and there are going to be failures and there are going to be problems. And 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 often in often cases, 
you need to have sort of a skunk work set up, meaning you need to, uh, you know, that comes from Lockheed, obviously, they had a separate uh, uh, area or, 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 or location where they were inventing all the, the new new planes and that they did, SR-71, yep. et cetera. So you need, um, you need to have a, you know, it's like uh, Steve Jobs with the putting the pirate flag up when they, did, you know, did the Macintosh. You need to have a quote. I, I hate to call it a separate unit, but you have you have you have to have a place where they can experiment, uh, spending bigger dollars, making bigger risks, uh, taking bigger risks, but also supported by senior management. So innovation should be thought of not as one thing, but maybe even three different things. What kind of talent? I want to stick to that last Skunk Works idea. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple things that that come out of that. One of them is is um, you know what kind of talent? When you say higher talent, what does that mean? Um, the second thing, though, I'd like to get to. You know, uh, Clay Christensen. One of the things that was in the Innovator's Dilemma. When, in fact, one of the central kind of themes is this idea that um, processes that make you a winner in today's uh, today's market in today's you know comp- competitive arena, for lack of a better word. Um, actually, make it hard to do new things because new things are, don't usually pay off right away. Like they're not—they're not economic. They're not the best place to put your next dollar until they grow into something that is. So that—that's a little bit your point about risk, but it's also just about the metrics, right? I mean, you need to get out of the corporate um, kind of set of metrics and and uh, expectations that are in the main ship, so you can go and and look at different KPIs and different ways of 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 kind of aligning effort. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Because you, your metrics, uh, especially for this, you know, breakthrough team, this platform creation team, this new business creation team, they cannot be short-term metrics. I mean, they cannot be, okay, we got our quarterly ending report. We need to see, we need to, to, to see a return in three months. That is not the case. I mean, you look at Amazon, that's a great example of investing, quote, in the future, right? So, um, you need to structure for those things differently. You need to, you know, then we get into lean innovation and you need to let these teams uh, fail, hopefully fail efficiently and quickly. Um, also in that area, you need to be, I mean, there are all kinds of processes that you, and you need to be looking at and different approaches. One is you want to be, you know, very clear about where the world is going from a technology standpoint. So part of your team should be, uh, experts at emerging technologies. This could be material science. This could be um, all kinds of things, right? So that's 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 one thing that this breakthrough team has to be aware of and, and working through. Um, to your point, the or I guess it was to my point that you asked about uh, then about talent. You know, um, the talent part of it. You know, to me, this is an art finding finding those individuals. That can um, that are innovative enough and forward-seeing enough, and 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 you might have to think of it not so much as individuals, but as teams, who can who can really go out and create something you know radical and new. Um, you know, there's I think there also there just so you know I think there's a misconception that these people are, you know, anti. Yes, they're anti-authoritarian, but they're not. Um, they're not necessarily difficult people. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's this assumption that oh, we'll put the weird guy out there. Well, it the, makes better TV. It makes better TV. Um, you know, my my business partner Gary Fraser, when he created a hundred, you know, a, a two hundred million dollar uh, product uh, for Unilever, um, he he's one of the nicest guys on the planet, and he did a fantastic job 
of selling his ideas internally, and he did that through relationships. And so, you know, you you need people that um, that are willing to take risks, but they also have to be able to build bridges because you need the you, you know you need the resources to be devoted um, to make something happen. So um, don't look for the weird guy sitting in the corner with a beard. Uh, look for the you know persistent person who has new ideas, but but is also pragmatic. Um, that's a major misconception in this world of innovation, I think. Well, isn't that you know one of the un, unspoken parts about real innovation is execution is is ninety percent of what you're doing. Absolutely. You have your idea, but but you know a lot of your little little innovations or your little your little creative ideas are executing the big idea. Um, you know, I've, I've been in a couple of big organizations where there were quote unquote change makers uh, or change agents, and they have a tendency not to change very much, except they have one one good year, and then they they annoy everyone so much that they're they're either you know, uh, ostracized or, or literally, you know, shown the door to your, to your point, it's, you know, you know, selling is as much a part of innovation as, as, you know, inventing. Yeah. And as, and as I said before, I mean, innovation is about solving the hundreds of problems that you, you need to solve to make something happen. So that's, you know, to your point, selling, that's about finding the resources. That's about figuring out how to manufacture something that's never been manufactured before, you know, just to, uh, because it's such a real world example, but when, you know, my partner was doing, you know, the, the, the toothpaste container that had never been done for, for Mentadent when he did that, you know, he had to work with the guys, you know, on the manufacturing lines. He had the engineers working. They couldn't solve the problem about how you manufacture this thing successfully. So we went, you know, we went on the lines with these guys and, you know, um, the guys who were in the actual on the lines, you know, at the at the manufacturing plant were the guys that actually solved this thing. So you need to, um, you know, th- these are hundreds and hundreds of challenges that you need to solve to bring this thing to market successfully. You know, what's what's the positioning? If it's a product, what's the packaging? What's the price value equation? You know, what's the most important feature or benefit, really benefit that you want to highlight to the world uh, when you're talk, talking to customers? What specific customer need that do you want to highlight above all others? Because that's the motivating thing. And by the way, now we're getting into uh, research, which, um, you know, there's a misconception too that research is, I don't know if it's bad, but but not worth the time or effort because, uh, you know, people, as you know, pe- you know, people would say they want a faster horse, not a new car. That is absolutely ridiculous. Research in our work is so critical. We want to bring out prototypes, if you will. And these prototypes could not only be products, but they could be services and get input from people and tell us what yeah. they think. Let's and dwell I, for a moment. I, actually, I want to, Brian, I want to stop and go back to the, uh, something you just said kind of quickly. There is this idea that that asking customers for what they want isn't going to get you, you know, to a solution to your point. If you say, what do you, well, how could you make this horse better? But yep. That's that's asking the wrong question at the wrong level. I, I worked at Sony for some years, and everyone used to say that that you know we don't do well. Innovators don't do research, and Akio Morita didn't do any research to to create the Walkman. Well, actually, he did. He did a lot of his own ethnographic research where he walked around and watched people and asked good questions. You know what I mean? They say the same thing about Steve Jobs, and his whole point was he was he was a deep thinker about what people do and what people care about. Um, so there, there was, you know, it, it was always a part of this getting insights from the market. Um, can you talk a little bit more about this, this idea of asking questions kind of at the right level, as opposed to just 
wholesale saying research is a bad idea. Yeah, I, I have two things to say about that. So one, and this may sound also controversial, but I think it makes sense is, you know, we get our clients to create ugly prototypes of things. Uh, one, I remember we were doing some work with Dr. Scholes and they said, oh, we could 3D print these ideas and, oh my God, we'll create these beautiful prototypes. And we said, no, 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 we don't want that. We want to make these things out of cardboard and duct tape and show the consumers that. Uh, and why do we do that? Because if it's too finished, people say, oh yeah, I like the color. Or, you know, okay, yeah, it looks good, yeah. But if you have this sort of ugly prototype, whatever that means, and this could be a service where you, you're going to a client and say, you know, what about this? I'm not sure. Could we, what do you think? Um, you need the concrete things to get people to react to. But if they're too finished, they're not going to tell you the truth. But if it's an ugly prototype, let's say, you know, oh, you, gosh, you know, that, that's not going to fit well. What are you doing? You, you know, and so that's 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 one thing um, th th that's critical. You know, the other thing is that you need creative people to be doing, quote, this research. So this is not about yes, no. This is about when a person says something about what they don't like. Or how about or what if that that researcher, that innovator is creative enough to say, oh, does that mean you're thinking of this? Well, then could we do this? And how about this? And how about that? You know, one of our services will do innovation audits. And, and, and this is going around an organization and say, you know, what are some ideas you have here? Um, you know, some scientists may have stuff in the bottom drawer that they didn't do or weren't successful. And, you know, a, a classic innovation audit would be to just record what they have. Well, that's not the idea here. We're going around to work with, this is stimulus. We're, we're going around to get ideas uh, for possibilities that we could talk to. And by the way, timing, now that we get into the whole area of timing, you know, timing is a critical factor in terms of innovation, as we know. And so you have to be tuned in with what the market might need, what the technology could do, deliver at any moment in time, which is a whole other discussion. One of the things that you covered a moment ago, though, when you think about innovation audits and you think about, um, you know, gathering ideas that have been sort of uh, percolating in the organization, one of the things I've seen companies do successfully is create, you know, mini events where people can take their sort of half-formed observations and, and insights and turn them into something. Because that's the, the reality is that a lot of people that have half of a good idea or a good a good insight may not have the tools of their own like and I mean, by that I mean mental tools to be able to turn that into a, a fully formed idea but by guiding them with with events and and you know various processes uh you're able to help people kind of kind of connect dots and make them um you know make them into an idea you can do something with do you, you guys do a lot of that what are some tools that you've used for that yeah, well, the first tool not to use is suggestion boxes. <laughs> so, yeah, right. So don't do yeah. that. They're, that's, they're terrible. That's a complaint. It's a complaint box. Yeah, in in part because the, we we did an assignment around that, and and we came up with the idea of a whiteboard technique, which which I'll talk about in just a second. But but the problem with suggestion boxes, you know, a they tend they're not interactive. So to your point, Hugh, uh, ideas are not born fully formed, and so you need sort of the care and nurturing of these babies, if you will, to turn them into adults. And an, a suggestion box doesn't typically allow that. The other the other problem is companies do not do a good job of following up with these ideas. And so, uh, 
you know, logically and makes sense that employees then would become uh, unsatisfied with, quote, the process. The idea we came up with was sort of an interactive suggestion box, or we call it a whiteboard technique. And the, and what's fun about this is this is at the kind of at the team level, and a, a manager can put a challenge on a whiteboard, and obviously you can do this virtually now, and it could be on anything. How do we improve customer service? How do we get better sales? How do we um, you know, uh, make our make our plant safer. It could be anything, and you you set that up for maybe seven or ten days. You ask people to put ideas down. Anybody you invite ideas, and after seven or ten days, you're done. And then you got a whole bunch of ideas. And we have had extraordinary success for this. I mean, we Armorall, one of our clients, they invented um, a, a new package just by putting this thing in the lunchroom. You know, we've done this with um, governments. We've done it. So, I mean, that's just a very simple um, uh, process, if you will, or technique for getting teams to develop ideas. Because, you know, it does take a team, in my opinion, to innovate successfully. Yes, you've got somebody with a vision. Yes, you've got somebody with the power and the authority. But you need all these this cross-functionality. A for the ideas, but B to make it viable. So when we would we with one of our clients, we created what was called the disruptive innovation group, and but we made sure that that was cross-functional. We had uh, an account, you know, we had a CFO type, but we had a fin- finance guy in there. We had a manufacturing, we had a quality control person as part of this team because we knew that all of these people had to input into the process. And that's an interesting one. Um, you know, you can think of invention versus, well, I mean, yeah, invention versus innovation as, as often, you know, the kernel of an idea happens inside someone's head, but making a thing real is real people using it and, and kind of giving it, giving it dimension. Does that sound? Absolutely. Um, we, uh, you know, if you look at some of the ideas that have been success, successful with our clients, you know, they started really as one thing and, and, not that they were entirely different, but um, but they were different by the time we went through the process. And, you know, sometimes when we go to qualitative research, and I'm thinking now of new products, but we might, you know, test 18 products. You know, in an ideation session, we uh, might generate 200 ideas, for instance, of those 10% might be really worthwhile, maybe 20, 18 to 20 ideas. We bring those to consumers or customers. Of those, there are probably eight that are really exciting. And of those, when we start doing feasibility analysis, you know, there are three or four, and then we do some testing and you get it down to, uh, you know, two or three, and ultimately you launch one or two. So those are the kind of numbers and percentages that you're dealing with. And what's interesting is sometimes an idea that looks only marginal, by the time you're doing some of the development work, you say, oh my gosh, we've really got something here. When you get customer or consumer input and they and you can see them bouncing off the walls about how excited they are of this thing, you say, oh my gosh, we got something. Who knew? You know, which is, by the way, really exciting. Yeah. And I think one of the things that you find in, certainly in construction, but but even across the, the AEC landscape is, you know, real users using th- technologies are where g- innovations can often come. And these can be process innovations. These can be how you connect what is still a pretty disconnected technical ecosystem. Um, so have you, how do people, how do companies structure that? 
this idea that that you're capturing the fact that you know someone's figured out a new way to use like in, in again in this in this industry revit is a big is a big product that gets used a lot and i hear people say i figured out a way to make revit do this or revit do that how how can companies capture that sort of ongoing in, in innovation yeah, it's a great question, and there there are a lot of answers to that. But um, you know, one is this sort of we get back to this mission, vision, and values. When people at at the front lines are empowered, a to come up with ideas and b to share those ideas in an environment that reinforces that. Again, that gets back to values, right? You know, if if we have a value as we are pioneers of the future, then people are no and and they've and they've invented ways to be pioneers in their jobs. We have them be creative about how they can be creative, quote, in their jobs. Certainly, one of the ways they can be creative is, is funneling back um, to, their, to their managers and to the rest of their teams in the entire organization how customers are using different technologies, different products. Frankly, they could be funneling back just needs or problems. And, and, and maybe you're, you're tied in with your customer service um, department because, my gosh, if you want to, if you want to look at places to innovate, you know, go to, go talk to your customer experience people. You know, they're going to tell you, oh my God, we got a hundred, we got a thousand problems here that you could uh, focus um, the, the innovative teams on. So that's that's one thing. That's that's one idea. The other is, um, you know, we the world calls it an ethnography, and we're big believers in this. It's sort of getting out into the field, right? It's seeing how people use things. I remember we were uh, we had a uh, this was for um, Honeywell uh, and, and Preston. We had a new um, car uh, wash and wax product. And so what we did was we didn't say, what do you think of this? We had guys come and bring their dirty cars and we gave them the product. We didn't say anything. We filmed them and we watched them, you know, open up the package, put it in the thing. Could the, were the directions clear? Did the, did the thing open up right um, how did they how did they apply the wash and wax? How did they take it off? Did it actually work? What did they think, et cetera, et cetera? Though that that very you know detail oriented approach to innovation is critical because you got to. I'm talking new products here, but it could be services too. You got to make sure that all these elements uh, integrate successfully. So you, the price value equation has to be right. You know, you have to be stressing the right thing, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the fun and that's the game and that's the creativity of, of doing innovation successfully. You, you have to have these integrated propositions that consider all these different factors. And that's frankly an art. But, but you need those approaches to make, to make that work. How do you relate? I mean, some of what you're talking about blurs the line a little bit between um, kind of change management and innovation, right? Is you're, you're talking about continuously kind of waves of, of new ideas or new, uh, new ways of doing things rolling through a company. How do you see the two related, like change management and innovation? How do you see those two kind of line up? Yeah, I, I, um, it's a great question. I don't know the answer. <laughs> you know, for us, for us, we we help companies innovate, and then we find that the you know the the quote change management prospect processes, if you will, are a function of those innovations. And I I, I realize I don't know that that's a very satisfying answer, but no, I think I but I mean I think it takes us somewhere in terms of how companies do what they do. Yeah. Right. It, it essentially means that that somebody, whether it's inside the innovating team or somebody else, has to catch the ball. 
Yeah, you know, I as I was thinking about this, our our talk today, I, you know, I thought about. I said, if if somebody in a in the construction world hired me as their innovation manager, what would I do, right? Or a change agent, if you want to call it that. I mean, I would. Um, one of the things I do is I I'd make sure that I understood all the technologies that could affect uh, as many as I could. I'd, I'd have a team sort of go find out what the technologies are that might affect our business. I go look at innovations around the world because there there are innovations happening in the world. I would be I would look for white space opportunities, which of course is is there a linkage between uh, different. Uh, system. So in the world of, you know, water control or, 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 you know, piping or whatever, is there something in there that, that A, we need to focus on or B, that could be a, a stimulus for inspiration? The other thing I would do is I would um, train um, people in the organization to be more innovative, right? The other thing I would do is I would also make sure that we were conscious of services, um, and I and I and I mention this because we've done work with the uh, um, Society of Mechanical Engineers, and you know, so we're on the future of robotics and the future of uh, model-based enterprises and the future of uh, um, you know pipe pipes and hydro technology and all the rest. So we've done sessions with uh, different, and, and we had expert panels. So these were um, you know innovators from. From Grumman and Ford and Boeing and uh, et cetera, et cetera, all these organizations had representatives on these ideation sessions. And one of the big learnings from that was, frankly, it's not only the technology. We have to be very, very creative about the services that you can build around those technologies, because if you will, that's the second wave, you know. Uh, and so, uh, one recommendation I would have for the listeners is: don't think about just new products. Think about all the services that new technologies could imply um, around those, if you will, products. That's an interesting one because I think it, it speaks a little bit to how, how the, the, you know, the size of, of the, the construction industry when you include, you know, architecture and construction and engineering is such that, that often we're, we're, we're focused on, on some kind of high level categories of what this one does versus what that one does. And, and often we're thinking about innovation in terms of, of doing the thing we say we do today instead of innovation as relooking at what we do today. Yeah. You know, and I was <clears throat> talking to you, it, it just reminded me that, you know, we did, we did a session for a multi-billion dollar chemical company and that session was with all their R and D directors and the, the head R and D director, um, was sort of innovative enough and forward thinking enough to say, you know, we can certainly get technologies um, from divisions, right? And based on customer needs, but we can also, frankly, look for white space opportunities. Are there, are there things we can mash up between our different divisions that will create innovative new products and services? So for a large construction, you know, organization, are there different departments? <clears throat> are there different um, kinds of um, clients we're servicing where we can take processes or inventions or technology from one area and mash it up to meet needs in the other area. And, and, and this is not always easy, by the way. Cross-divisional innovation used to be impossible, believe it or not, yeah. it be yeah. easier than going outside. But now because of open innovation, some of the more forward-thinking companies are realizing that they do have to figure out ways to innovate uh, internally across divisions. So what has happened in, in again, I'm looking at construction a little bit here, but it, it actually, again, hits a couple of the buckets, is you've seen innovation in terms of how of big questions like what, 
you know, where does architect, where did design happen and how is, how did architects interact with the construction team and, and vice versa. But I think what, one of the things that, that I've heard from you and heard from the, the innovation literature more generally is that's great. And you're solving problems that are clear pain points, but that isn't necessarily white space. Like what you mentioned earlier is, or blue ocean, I think is another term that gets used for it, um, is, is actually often there's opportunities in places that, that no one, that isn't a glaring pain. It's an opportunity to, to provide, and it's more importantly, it's not an internal pain. It's a customer pain, right? right? Where you're looking at how could I help our customers more and add value to them so they choose us more, pay us more, you know, choose us more often. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, you know, one of our principles of our innovation agency is, you know, innovation should begin and end with the customer. So um, this gets back to, you know, getting input uh, about problems, but also opportunities, uh, you know, working with customers, inviting them to ideation sessions, co-ideating co with them, and also suppliers. I mean, we've done sessions with all of those uh, involved, and you would be amazed because, you know, having the customer perspective right there and, the, you know, there are issues of confidentiality and, and all the rest. But assuming you can get past those, uh, some of the sessions we've done where the customers have been part of that ideation um, are tremendously powerful because they say, yeah, I don't know about that. But what you, but what that says to me, really, if you could solve this, oh, my gosh. And right. So you ide start ideating against that. So pain points maybe you didn't know. Right. Because it, it, it also is, a you know, because construction and, and the built environment generally is a little bit of a litigious environment. People aren't always quite so free to, to share concerns and pains. Yeah. Um, have you seen that happen elsewhere? I, I absolutely have. Yeah. Um, I, and and, and, and the, the other thing is sometimes we've actually done joint sessions between companies, even competitors. We we did a, a joint session between two companies who had, you know, a dozen lawsuits against one another. But they realized that if they could, even despite those lawsuits, if they could mash up some of their talents um, and capabilities, they could they could create a win-win um, outside of the lawsuits, you know. And, <laughs> and so there are tremendous opportunities sort of um, looking out uh, versus being too internally focused, right? And to to bring that that those input and ideas and frankly talent, you know. Um, I remember when we did the um, ASM East work, um, you know. I remember the guy from Ford; he had over 150 patents, for instance. I mean, these are these are talented people that you can get to help you invent new stuff, and so they don't even have to be uh, have to be all internal. One one of the interesting things also it, it related to this is is a a company I I, I like quite well called Dato. They're a, a software company that actually started as a incubated company very early on, and they were told to go out and talk to the field. Um, and one of the things that they point out, and as a result, totally changed with how they went to market. So like they started with a pretty good innovation process, but one of the things that they talk about is a lot of the people that really have deep insight into how things work. And again, in, in construction, it's one of those industries where the work is often getting done quite far from an office. Um, and he's, you know, he, they were talking about how people on the ground often never get asked. So they're dying to talk. Not everybody, because people always want to hear, but, but there's a lot of insight and people are much more willing to talk about these things than often is assumed. Have you found that sort of thing in, in across industries? Oh God, I'm so glad you said that. I mean, one of my you know, sort of peak experiences when I, I was doing some work with Con Ed and I, I went out 
uh, riding the trucks with these guys. And these every single one of these guys had all kinds of ideas. And I'm like, well, what's, what's happening with those? Well, it's kind of like, well, nobody ever asked. And 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 um, so absolutely, you know, I, I I am such a big believer in involving, quote, the frontline worker on this um, to, to help you get ideas, to help you get problems, to help you and, and to be creative. I mean, we did we did um, 20 cost cutting sessions for a, a large, you know, multi-billion dollar company. Well, we went out to these cost cutting or efficiency sessions, whatever you want to call them, process improvement sessions. We were out in the factories with folks, having them ideate with us. We we're out in the field, um, and these these people, yeah, gosh, if if we did the forklift this way, it would be much. So, no, absolutely, um, you know, and especially with the right processes. We haven't talked about it, but I, I, your audience should know that there are ideation uh, processes that you can use to help people uh, get all kinds of ideas. And so, you know, we are experts in quote these processes. So brainstorming doesn't work. You know, <laughs> that, the, the, the brainstorming has got any ideas, got any more ideas. That's not what we're talking about. There is a whole field of ideation. They're called processes. And we use dozens and dozens of these different processes, questioning assumptions, uh, you know, customer wishing, day in the life, uh, semantic intuition, which is a word combination technique, and on and on and on. They're visual techniques, et cetera, et cetera. Mapping techniques, process mapping techniques. Uh, we just did a whole bunch of these with an aerospace company. So people should know, uh, and, and leaders of organizations should have people that are trained in these processes, and they're not rocket science. You know, my books have these, there are other books that have these. Um, and these processes work. And so and that's, that's, a, that's a key point, right? Is that, yeah. that you don't, you do need a, a, a moderator who knows what they're doing, but they're, uh, they're purposely made so that they're following how people naturally interact and naturally kind of combine and, and refine ideas. Is that right? Absolutely. You know, I mean, I mean, and, and you don't have to spend all day doing uh, ideation sessions as, as we often do, or now virtual sessions uh, you know, our, our uh, ideation session has moved to virtually. So we had a, a two day uh, strategy session for a new technology plan with, and this was not about inventing the technology, was figuring out how to how to develop this technology uh, into a successful business. This was a two day strategy session, and we cre- and we transformed it into four uh, two and a half hour virtual sessions. And there are actually some advantages to to doing th- things virtually, uh, which was really profound and powerful. But you know, these techniques, as I said, are, are you know they're not rocket science. They're they're easy to learn, and you know one of them is the worst idea technique and or silly idea. It sounds ridiculous and stupid, but but that technique uh, for one of our clients created a multi million dollar division. The technique is you you try to come up with bad ideas, not good ideas, and then and then flip them around. But and these are, it's so like these saying are, don't think of the word elephant. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And these are. You know, this is not hard. This is these are simple things. It's almost like, you know, uh, mind mapping is is a creative technique. We, uh, you know, we sometimes use that for cost cutting work. Well, you can take a two day course on mind mapping. Well, you don't need to. You can learn this thing in ten minutes. Right. So these are these are basic tools. You know, in the world of construction, this is your hammer and your screwdriver. Uh, you know, you should. Yeah, yeah. Use. And frankly, even if you do them poorly. It's okay. It doesn't matter. It's better than, you know, saying who's got some ideas, who's got some more ideas. Right? Well, often, often you're starting these things and people get more comfortable and, and better at them as they do them more. 
That's absolutely true. And, and um, you know, you become more confident and, and, the, and you'll find, as we have found, that some clients, well, actually some, some people, some managers, some divisions, uh, even in some companies, some techniques, they are, are preferred over others. So some might be more strategic, like questioning assumptions or primary definition or 20 questions. Uh, some of the more strategic people may love those and some other people may like, you know, picture prompts or uh, the TRIZ uh, invention approaches or whatever it is, more visual techniques. Uh, some may like more metaphorical t- techniques. Some may like more fantasy techniques. And, and, and so you have to be aware that, that there are all these techniques out there. But also, um, as you start using them, you're going to find that some may work better than others for your particular organization. And that's OK. That's the whole you're innovating innovation here. And, and uh, at the end of the day, you want to use stuff that works. Right. And stuff that you're passionate about. You know, I, I am passionate about, you know, primary definition uh, as a way to increase sales. I'm also I also love semantic intuition as a new product development technique, whereas, you know, um, my business partner, Gary Fraser, his favorite technique is question, questioning assumptions. It, it doesn't matter. The point is you do all this stuff. Yeah, it's a numbers game. Well, there's a lot of tools. There's a lot of tools to choose from is sort of your point. You can you can play around a little bit and find the ones that work with your team or work with you and and more to the more to the point, maybe work with your problem. Yeah. And the the key point here is do something. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Get get going and moving. That actually, Brian, that's a perfect segue to our our last little bit here. So we're coming up to our our, our end. What um, what's what's a good next thing for for companies to do to start? Uh, well, I think they should sort of parallel path this, you know, I think, um, they need to have technology, they need to have somebody that's helping, uh, and this could be an outside firm or whatever, but they need to understand what, where technology is going. That That's obviously critical. They need to, uh, have somebody who is learning some of these ideation processes and beginning to, to run s- some of these, uh, sessions, if you will, and they could they could do hackathons. They could do those sort of things. Those those are fine. Those are those are one time events. That's okay. Um, let's see. They should. Um, what else could they do? I mean, uh, they they should make sure that their vision, mission, and values are aligned with uh, what they're trying to achieve. And the leaders really have to paint a picture about where you want to go from an innovation standpoint. So, you know, it's you should probably start with the leaders having a vision of where do you want to innovate, how do you want to innovate, and what kind of results do you want to in, you, do you want from your innovation? So cuz you need to focus people on on what you're trying to do, and that's really um, the task of, of of senior management to do that. Brian, this has been fantastic. Um, thanks for a lot of really great ideas. Uh, and well, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Of course. I feel like we were just getting getting started. But, you know, um, I, I, I'll just say that people can, uh, you know, sort of look at my books. They have a lot of these sort of processes in there to give them more specificity if that's what they're after. Fantastic. Maybe we'll do another one. Okay. Thanks, right. you. This was fun. Thanks, Brian. 